So thank you all for being here. It is the Sunday after Easter. Easter was just a week ago. It feels like, is it just me or is this like the longest week ever? It feels like that was so long ago. It was just a week ago. Here's a little fun fact for you. Uh, the Sunday after Easter nationwide is like the lowest attendance for churches that gather yet. Like people, a lot of people just take off, but like you didn't. You're all here. Look at y'all. So give yourselves a round of applause. Thank you for being here. It was church skip day, and you didn't even know it, and here you are. So thank you for being here today. Uh, last Sunday, as we celebrated Easter, as we um, gathered together for that, we talked about Jesus last week, didn't we? I know it was a strange thing to do for us as a church to talk about Jesus on Easter Sunday, but we did just that. We talked about Jesus, and we talked about Jesus as our problem solver, as our hero, as our savior. And the big problem, the big problem that Jesus solved for us, for humankind, is a problem that we could not solve for ourselves. It's the problem of death. You can call it the problem of death. You can call it the problem of sin. You can call it the problem of hell. It's the big problem, the problem that we couldn't do anything about, about saving ourselves, about earning a place in heaven. We can't do that. We can't earn our way. And so Jesus solved that big, the biggest problem ever. He solved it for us in his crucifixion and his resurrection. He provided us with a way to receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Awesome. And so Jesus ascends into heaven, but after he ascended into heaven, he did leave plenty of other problems behind in this world, problems that he left for, for us to solve, for his followers to solve. And he's given us a way to solve these problems, he's, he's given us a method, he's given us the strategy of love, but the reality is we do live in a world, in a country, in a community that has problems, that has issues, and we are the ones we are the ones who can be problem solvers. And so these problems aren't going to solve themselves. They just aren't. Problems like, oh, I don't know, discrimination or poverty or lack of education or people who are sick and not being taken care of, all those type of problems, right? And so these problems exist. And so often we look outside of ourselves and we say, who's going to solve these problems? We need some kind of like town council leader or some kind of politician or some kind of community group to solve these problems. And we're going to go to our borough meetings and we're going to raise these issues and we're going to identify these problems and we're going to vocalize these problems and we're going to complain about these problems. But where are the problems? solvers. We need more problem solvers in our country. We need more problem solvers in our community. What we really need are leaders. We need leaders, people who will rise up, answer the call, take the initiative, and start creating some solutions to the problem in our community and in our country, the problems that we see on a daily basis. And so, to that end, we are doing this series called Lead, which is a series about leadership. We're going to talk about leadership for a few weeks, and we're going to start out this series by trying to break down some of these leadership myths that exist, two myths in particular that we'll talk about. Um, about, let me see, about eight years ago, a friend of mine, he was working for this company, and, uh, and he was offered a promotion, it was a management position, and so it was like, you know, it was a, a pay boost and all that, and so he, uh, he took this management position, he was managing like a small team, a team of, I don't know, five, six, seven people, something like that, and so he took this position, but he really didn't like it, you know, it really didn't feel like he was gifted, in fact, he would con complain, yeah, I'll use the word complain, he would complain to me often about this and talk about the fact that, you know, here he is, and he's in this leadership position, and he would say to me, Josh, I'm just not a leader, I'm just not a leader. This doesn't play to my strengths. I'm just not a leader, but they offer me this thing. And I feel like that's something that can happen in a lot of work settings or companies where you kind of like just keep taking promotions until you rise to a level. It's like, well, I'm not even good up here. 
You know, I was offered this promotion, and it's more money, and it's all this, but I don't, even, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. I was good down here. That's where I was, like, thriving and playing to my strengths, but, well, I don't know what I'm doing up here. And so that's where he was. It's a thing. It happens. You know, we feel like we always have to say yes to these promotions. So he took this promotion, and he said, I'm not a leader, and I'm supposed to lead this team of people. And he kind of bemoaned the fact that he was supposed to do all this. And I, I was just a sounding board for him at the time. I had no advice. I didn't know what to tell him. I was just like, oh, well, that's a rough situation. But if I could go back, if I could turn back time, if I could find a way. <laughs> just, we're on a dangerous, like, share vortex here right now. I got to back away from that. I was Tina Turner last week, share this week. Those are my wife's two favorite singers. Isn't that adorable that she likes Tina Turner and share? I've always found that endearing. Anyway, if I could go back in time, if I had a flux capacitor, could go back, I would give this guy some advice. And I would say, you've got two options, buddy. You're in this leadership position and you don't feel like you can lead. Well, the one of your options is you can go to your boss and you can have a very kind of candid conversation and say, I can't do this job. You know, I feel like I was thriving down here, but up here I'm not able to play to my strengths. I just can't do this. And so could I get a demotion? I know this is a weird thing, and I know you gave me this opportunity, but I'd rather be back down there. That's an option. Did you realize that? You can do that. In fact, somewhere that I worked when I was 20, I worked for my dad's company, for, for Poland Springs Water Company as a warehouse. And Yes, I actually have had real jobs in my life. I know that's tough to believe, but like, you know, moving water cases and driving forklifts and all that. So I wasn't great at it, by the way. But anyway, there was a guy who worked there. He was our manager. And at a certain point, he just said, I can't do this anymore. You know, I like to be one of the guys on the floor and to be the boss. It just isn't me. And so he stepped down and one guy who was on our team became our manager. It's a thing. It happens. So that's one option. If you find yourself in that position of leadership, say, I can't do this, to have a conversation with the higher-ups and say, listen, this isn't for me. And so that, that's one option, okay? So if I go back, to, go back in time, that's the advice I would have given him. Option one, just step down. Option two, lead. Option two, here you are, you're in a position of leadership, and you don't feel like a leader, so what? Forget about that. Just find a way to make it happen, right? Man up, rise to the challenge, and just lead, you don't feel like you're a leader. You don't feel like that plays to your strength. Well, forget about all that and just kind of make yourself the leader that's needed for that time and that place. Just do it. Make yourself the leader. Channel whatever it is and, and read some books if you need to and ask for advice from other people and just make yourself the leader that your team needs right now. And those are basically the two options, right? You either rise to the challenge and lead anyway. Oh, I don't feel qualified. I don't feel competent. Well, so what? You're there. Do it. Lead anyway or step down. Those are the two options, aren't they? Here's one of the myths that we need to, to, to break down about leadership. And the myth is this. You're either a leader or you're not. You're either a leader or you're not. You have that, that certain personality that a leader has, that certain gifting, that certain skill set, that talent of leadership. You either have that or you don't. Let me tell you right now, that's a myth. I don't believe in that. I mean, this is me sharing my personal opinion. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. I think part of the problem is this. When we think about what it takes to be a leader, or we think of who leaders are, we have an idea in our, our minds about what a leader is, and if we feel like, well, I'm not that person, then we feel like, well, then I'm not a leader. Does that make sense? Like, I subscribe to some different um, leadership blogs on account of my job, and so um, it's amazing how often um, Steve Jobs is mentioned as the example of a powerful leader. And I don't know too much about Steve Jobs, you know, like the Apple guy, you know, Steve Jobs. And so he had certain personality quirks and was really tough and all this, but he's often referred to as an amazing leader. I mean, look what he made happen. 
And so I look at somebody like Steve Jobs and I think, I have nothing in common with this dude, right? If that's what it is to be a leader, then I'm not one. I have nothing in common. I mean, I've got an iPhone in my pocket because somebody gave me one, but that's about it. That's where the similarities stop, right? I've got nothing in common with that guy. And so if I decided that that's what a leadership looks like, I might count myself out. But here's the thing. I don't think leadership is, is a talent or a gift or a skill set or a personality trait. Instead, I think we need to change the way that, that we perceive leadership. You can lead. You bring your gifts, your skill sets, your specific personality, your quirks, your strengths, your weaknesses to a leadership role. See what I'm saying? It's not like leadership in and of itself is a skill set. Is you bring your skill set to that role. It's a role to be filled rather than something you just are born with. That's what I think about leadership. And so what I'm here to tell you today is that you, this is my belief about each one of you, trying to make eye contact with as many of you as possible, okay? I believe, that's awkward, I believe that you are a leader. It's not a question of, well, am I a leader or not? Am I a leader or not? It's not that's not the question. It's a question of where a question of when, and a question of will. It's a question of where. Where in your life? Where can you exercise some leadership? Where? Is it in school? Is it in work? Is it in your community? Is it in your home? Is it in your church? Is it all the above? Is it a mix of these things? Where are you a leader? When? Where's the, when's that opportunity? Is it now? Is it in the future? You see there's a space. And when and will, will you say yes? When the time comes, when the position is available, when the role needs to be filled, when the problem needs to be solved and you have the solution, will you say yes? Will you rise to the challenge and become a leader? Now, there's a lot of different ways to think about, well, what is a leader and what does a leader accomplish? Here's a, a very general definition. Here's how I think about leadership, okay? A leader, okay, you could say a leader is a problem solver, and that's great. A leader in my mind, is an instigator for change, all right? An instigator for change, an instigator for transformation. A leader sees the problem, has an idea of a solution, and just starts working towards it, right? Takes some initiative, shares the idea with others, shares the vision with others, an instigator for change. And here, I'm here to say that you have that capacity somewhere in your life, At some point in time, you have the capacity to be a leader. Let me talk for just a moment to the teenagers in our midst. Hi, teenagers. How y'all doing? You know, I've tried to start a thing here at Hope where we have teenage time, where teenagers gather together, and we all sit down. Yeah, it's not happening, right? Okay. So let me talk to you where you are. You don't have to come up here. uh, This message is just as much for you as it is for anybody else. You know, there's that thing, especially like if you're in eighth grade and then you go to ninth grade, it's like you were just like the king of middle school and now you're, or the queen of middle school, and now you go and you're like, low man on the totem pole, I'm a freshman, blah, blah, blah. Guess what? Wherever you are, there may be an opportunity for you to lead, to lead by example, right? Some of you were young and kind of starting out in your professional careers, and you think, well, you know, it's my first day. I'm the bottom rung of the ladder. I'm not a leader. I'm just an employee, right? I don't make change happen here. I'm just an employee. You can be a leader. Maybe you walk in, and it's your first day of that job, and you see something that needs to be fixed. You see a problem that needs to be solved, and you have an idea for a solution, and you go for it. Or you just do that thing where you lead by example. You know what it's like when you start off new in a new job? Remember what that's like? You start off new, and so you're there 15 minutes early, and you are dressed, and you're all put together, and the hair is just right, and the tie is straight, or whatever it is. 
you look your best, you put your best foot forward, and you've got an hour-long lunch break, and so you take 40 minutes because you want to be back on time, and you want to just do it right. And you're looking at your coworkers, and this guy's been there 10 years, and he's kind of dressed kind of sloppy, you know, and his lunch is like an hour and 15. But you're going to lead by example, and you're going to do it right, and you're going to keep doing it right. Even after you've been there 10 years, you're going to act like it's your first day. Opportunities to lead are all around us. And so that's the first myth that we need to get rid of. Oh, I'm not, you are, you have the potential to be a leader. You do. You do. And there might be, listen, keep your eyes open. There might be this opportunity that's right in front of you. Wow, there's a problem. I think I have a solution. I think I've got an idea. I think I could start an initiative. Boom. You can. You can be a leader. You have that ability. You have that capacity. If you're willing to say yes to it, all right? Myth number two, let's talk about myth number two, but first let me go back to the story about that friend of mine. And so there he was, this guy is in this management position, doesn't like being a leader, he's, he's kind of looking back to the old days, wishing he was back down here because that's where he felt more comfortable. And I was having a conversation with him, and he told me something new. He told me that the HR department of his company made some changes, and the HR department used to run all the staff evaluations, and now they're kind of tasking that out or allowing the managers to do the staff evaluations for their team, Okay. And so he's telling me about this, and so what I'm hearing him say is he's got more work to do. That's what I'm hearing. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, now this guy, he doesn't want to be a leader. Now he has to do staff evaluations and have that conversation where you sit across from somebody and say, hey, you're doing an okay job, or hey, I need to fire you. Like, that's, that's what he's going to have to do now? And so I'm thinking, oh my goodness gracious. And so he's telling me that now this is his job. And I said, well, well how do you feel about that? And he says, I feel great about that. He said, this is an opportunity for me to assert my authority, to exercise my authority as the leader. Oh, myth number two. Leadership is about asserting your authority. Myth number two. Leadership is about exercising, asserting, proving your authority. It's not. That's not leadership. Leadership isn't about trying to get things your way or trying to assert your, 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 I'm the one in charge here. That's not what leadership is. That's not what leadership is about. In fact, I was just thinking about this. Um, we have in our church, let you know a little bit about our church, uh, for those of you who are new. Uh, we have a very simple kind of form of, of church structure, church government, and we have, you know, some churches have like elders or a council or an administrative board or all that kind of thing. We have a board of directors. In fact, I'm going to put you on the spot. Would our board, would, would you please stand up if you're on our board of directors, just for a moment? I know it's awkward. I would I put you on the spot here. But it's Josh Kerr, Peterkin, it's John Rosemary, Tom and Mickey, my wife Holly, uh, Sean and Michelle, where's... Hey, Kelby's up there. Hey, Kelby, how you doing, buddy, on the light board? Um, thank you. Have a round of applause for these guys. I'll put them on the spot. But the first time that this group of people got together, I mean, here I am, and I had to say, like, I had to ask for something big. Hey, would you take on this leadership role? And I was like, oh, do you ever have to ask somebody to do something big? And it's like, what are they going to say? What if they say no? So I ask all these people, and they say yes. And so we gather together for our first meeting, you know, this, this group of people, and I say, all right, we need to talk about what leadership is. You guys remember what I told you? Because I've come back to it time and time again. I said, leadership is a burden. It's a burden. And I know there are other ways to think about it, and it's more than just a burden, but that, I feel like that needs to be the root. It is, a, it is a burden. It is a weight to carry. In fact, we just tried to organize our missions committee a little bit back at the end of last year, and what did I tell all you guys? And we said, I was like, okay, if you're going to step into this role, if you're going to say yes to being a leader in this church, you need to know what that means. It's a burden. It's the burden 
of trying to discern God's will. It's the burden of, of keeping all these things in mind of what's going on in the life of our church and who are our people and what are their needs. And, and it's, it's a burden. It's a joy in a lot of ways. It's a responsibility, but it's a burden. It is not... It is not an opportunity to say, here's how I want things to work. It's not an opportunity to say, I want to do things my way, and this is my way, and I want us to do it. No. And it was important for me to put that out up front at our very first meeting that when we got together. Because the last thing that I wanted to see is somebody come and, and be a part of that board and say, well, here's, here's something I used to do in my old church, and now that I'm in a position of leadership, I want to do it at this church too. Why? Well, because I liked it, and it was fun, and I'm in charge, so I'm just going to do it. No, 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 no. That's not leadership. Just take a step back and say, what does this community need? Where do we need to go next? I mean, that's, it's, it is a burden. And so I just want to thank you, thank all of you for saying yes to that. Everybody's in a position of leadership. Thank you for agreeing to take that on. Leadership is a burden. Take a look at the Scripture passage that Kelly read for us. If you're wondering, hey, haven't we looked at this Scripture passage before? The answer to that is yes. A lot going on here, a lot of wonderful teachings here, and we will continue to, to study and examine this passage as we go forward. But let me set this scene for you. This is from Matthew chapter 20, and uh, before verse 25, what's going on here is, um, you know, at this point in, in Jesus' life and in His ministry, um, He's getting closer and closer to the cross. He's explained to His followers that He is going to leave them, that He is going to die, and so um, that leaves them with some, some really practical issues that they have to sort through, you know, issues of, okay, well, once Jesus is gone, who's going to be in charge of this thing? I mean, it's a very practical issue. And so there were a couple of guys, and we think they were probably younger guys, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and, uh, and their mom sometimes would connect with the disciples as they were traveling, and that, that had to be embarrassing for James and John, right? They're trying to do their own thing and follow Jesus, and then there's their mom tagging along or whatever. And so their mom, here's what happens, and you can take a look at this. It's Matthew chapter 20 here. Uh, it begins at verse 20. So let me read this for you. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, again, James and John, came to Jesus with her sons, kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other may sit at your left in the kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Can you, in other words, can you suffer the way that I'm going to suffer? Can you sacrifice the way that I'm going to sacrifice? And quite boldly, they reply, yeah, we can do that. We can, they answered. Verse 23, Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left, it's not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. And so the other guys hear about this. Verse 24, when the ten heard about this, they were indignant. That's a fun word. You know, it's a polite way of saying they were ticked off, right? Of course they were. Who are these two guys to think that, I mean, like, I've been following Jesus just as long as those two. What's up with them? Why do they get to sit on the right level? Why do they get this position of leadership? Why should they have authority over the rest of us? That doesn't make sense. And so verse 25, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers, leaders, employers, bosses, managers, political leaders, the rulers, sorry, I lost my spot. Where am I? The rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Okay, the people in leadership, let the people beneath them know, hey, I'm your boss. I'm El Capitan. It stops with me, right? They lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. And a lot of people think, well, that's what it means to be the boss. You're exercising your authority over a group of people. What does Jesus say? Verse 26, no, no, not so with you. Instead, 
Whoever wants to become great among you, whoever wants to become a leader of this movement, whoever wants to take on a leadership role or, or be a, someone in this great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. There's a word we're all really comfortable with, right? Slave? Must be your slave. I mean, that's like being a servant to, to what degree? <laughs> to the most extreme degree. Just as the Son of Man, this is Jesus speaking about himself, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve, and to, and, and to what extent? To what extent did he serve? And to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, there's a good chance that you're already familiar with the term servant leadership. Have you heard this before? Give me one of these. Have you heard of servant leadership before? Okay. And it's an idea that's, you know, it started with Jesus, by the way, but it's out there. In the, before Jesus, that concept, it, as far as I could tell, really didn't exist. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be great, if you want to be a leader, if you want to be a leader in this movement, the movement of Jesus Christ that we call the church, if you want to be a leader in that movement, if you want to be a leader anywhere, you have got to serve. You have got to be a slave to other people. And there is Jesus. And our ultimate example, talk about leading by example, who left his place in heaven, left his high position, emptied himself out of all of his glory and grandeur and all the wonderful things that he received as, as being part of the, the Trinity, leaves, comes down, born in a manger, and, and just serves other people. It's not about exercising his authority. It's about, saying, it's about fulfilling his role. What am I here to do? I'm here to solve this problem. I'm going to solve this problem. I'm going to serve other people. In fact, a lot of you know this already. The night before he was crucified, Jesus gathered with his disciples, and before they celebrated the Lord's Supper, what does Jesus do? He goes around and he washes his disciples' feet. He goes around and does this. And that was very, very awkward, very, very uncomfortable, very, very powerful, very, very tangible experience they had. And what Jesus said, do you understand what I've done for you? Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me master, you call me Lord, for that is what I am. In other words, Jesus was saying to his disciples, listen, you call me your master, just because I've washed your feet doesn't make me any less your master. I am your master. I am your Lord. He says, now that I've done this for, your, for you, you ought to do this for one another. As I have served you, you need to serve one another. That's the idea there. That's in John's gospel, by the way. And so that's what, what Jesus lays out for us. If you want to lead, you need to serve. And in my opinion, and this is like kind of breaking down what the Bible says, and I'm trying to bring it down, boil it down to its simplest point, leadership is a willingness to serve, a willingness to serve. And listen, if you possess that, if you possess a willingness to serve, then in my opinion, you have what it takes to lead. If you possess, if you possess a willingness to serve, then you possess the ability to lead, a willingness to serve. And we're not just talking about big, great things. I mean, there is Jesus washing his disciples' feet. My goodness, Jesus, couldn't you have found something better to do with your time? Like, I don't know, raise some more dead people like you did with Lazarus, or heal some more sick people, or go gather an audience and preach an important message? No, he saw the problem. He identified the problem. Here we are gathered together. We've got dirty, sandy feet. Where's the foot washer? Not here. Problem solved. I'm going to solve this problem. Oh, to take the initiative. Would you call that an act of leadership, washing, washing feet? Because it is. And that's what required. If you possess the willingness to serve and will actually act on that willingness, then you possess the ability to lead. And so here's what I'd like you to, to consider today is this. Now, you've 
you know, you might be sitting there thinking, listen, I don't know why I even came here this morning. I knew all this already. I know about servant leadership. I know that. If I want to lead, I have to be a servant. Sure, that's, I, I've heard this a million times. I've been in church for like 70 years. This is old. And it is old. It's an idea that's been around for a long time. But here's where I want to flip that idea on its head a little bit. Think about it this way. Yes, yes, leadership is service. But what about this? Think about it this way. When you find yourself in a position of service, serving someone, caring for someone, giving to someone, preparing a meal for someone who is sick, cleaning the home of someone who's disabled, you know, do- donating food to kids who, who need to eat, who are hungry. When you find yourself in a position of service, that is an opportunity to lead. Think about it that way. Every, listen, every act of service is an opportunity to lead. Every act of service is an opportunity to instigate some change, to instigate some transformation. Every act of service is an opportunity for you to problem solve. Look at how practical this is. Let's talk about this, this food ministry that we're doing, trying to feed these kids in Prospect Park. Let's talk about this. How, how simple is this? There's a problem that's been identified, and we need people to solve this problem by buying some food and giving it to the kids. Boom. Problem, solution. We are the problem solvers. That's how this works. Every opportunity to serve is an opportunity to lead. And that, my friends, is where we will pick up next Sunday. Let me pray for you. Is someone clapping for that? All right. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for for your great sacrifice for us, Lord Jesus Christ. You did come into this world. You did come to serve us. And you gave to us the the most profound gift that we've ever received, the most profound gift of all time. You gave up your life for us. You served us to such an extreme degree. And we acknowledge what you've taught us. We acknowledge that that this this is our job to do, to serve one another, to love one another in these real and tangible acts of service. And so, Father God, I pray for each one of us in this room. You know each one. You know where we're gifted. You know where you have gifted us. You know the talents that we possess. You know the different personality types in this room. You know what we're bringing to the table. And so, Father God, I ask that you would use each one of us to lead something somewhere at some time. Give us that opportunity to lead. Give us the willingness to serve. Lord Jesus Christ, we do want to be problem solvers in our nation and right here in our community. And so, Lord Jesus Christ, we ask you to to give to us your Holy Spirit. You promised you would. The Spirit dwells within us and among us. Give us your Spirit so that we could live out our destiny. Allow us to become leaders in this community and in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.